0: Our guest for today's episode is my new friend, Cheryl Scruggs. Cheryl is a podcaster, an author, a biblical counselor, and a speaker. I was recently a guest on Cheryl's podcast, and I loved her heart and her story so much, I just knew we needed to have her on Girls' Night. Today we're going to be talking about how to find God in the wilderness. It can be super discouraging when life is not going the way that we planned, or when something really painful happens. We feel broken, we feel alone, and hardest of all, God can feel so far away. In this episode, Cheryl touches on three distinct seasons of her life when things did not go the way that she had planned. And she talks about how God showed up in the midst of those really hard times. Friend, if you're listening to this episode and you're in a hard season right now, I want you to know that you are not alone. And my hope is that as we hear Cheryl's story and discover where God was in the midst of some of her hardest moments, we can start to see Him more clearly in the midst of our difficult circumstances too. But before we dive in, if you have been trying to figure out how to follow God's plans for your life or what those plans even are, I have a resource that can help. It's my book, it's The Lipstick Gospel Devotional, and it's a 90-day step-by-step guide that will help you consistently connect with God, hearing from Him, trusting His plans, and feeling His presence in your everyday life. Now, if this sounds like something that would be helpful for where you are right now, I would love to share it with you. You can pick up a copy at SmayWilsonshop.com. and if you use promo code GIRLSNIGHT, it'll give you 15% off. Isn't that fun? It's a brand new promo code we have just for our amazing podcast community. Okay, so with that said, let's jump into today's episode. Here is my conversation with Cheryl. Well, friends, I'm so excited for the friends that I get to introduce you to today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Cheryl Scruggs. Cheryl, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh girl, I am super excited to be here. And um we're kind of trading podcasts. You were on mine recently. And actually I think I'm playing yours in a couple of weeks. So oh, I'm super so- excited about that. But um I'm so happy to be with you and I've heard so much about you over the years, the couple of years, and it's just my honor.
0: Oh gosh, you're so sweet. I loved getting to chat with you on your show. It was just so much fun. And really at the end, I was like, and we need to have you at girls night. So that's (laughs) just the end of that. Um, so Cheryl, if people haven't met you yet, can you just tell us like who you are, what do you do? And I would love to hear a fun fact about you.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl Scruggs. Um, I am, well, let's see. I'm a child of God. I'm a wife. I'm, um, a mother of twin daughters who are your age so they're 30 they'll be 31 in about a month and I'm also a uh, grandma and they call me Momo so anyway that I have is one little so gran- cute <laughs> yeah so it kind of comes from a fun thing but my girls and their friends when they were growing up called me Mo and so the the you know best thing to call me as a grandma was Momo so I
0: love that that is so cute. I love that. I, lo- I love grandparent names. I feel like they are, yeah, they're the best.
1: Yeah. And so I, um, you know had some a lot of stuff go on in my life. but uh, you know, I was in sales for a while. I um did all that. but right now, what my husband and I've done for the last twenty years is we have a marriage ministry here in Dallas. and um we'll I know we're gonna get into that story and why that even happened, but we really try to help couples uh, in marriage and um, you know, see God's plan for marriage and all of that. And again, we'll get into some of that in a, in a bit. So, Anyway, a fun fact, oh my gosh, like it's, I was trying to think of that and, you know, I have a lot of them actually, <laughs> but the, the one I thought of that came to me right away was that I was actually a collegiate golfer and um, my parents owned a golf course, bought a golf course in 1967. I was eight years old and that's what we did as a family. And so I ended up being, uh, you know, playing college golf.
0: That is so cool. I did not. That's amazing. That's amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, it was fun. Lots of fun.
0: Do you still play?
1: Well, I didn't for about 25 years and I actually got burnt out. I I played on the high school guys team when I was in high school and then I played in in college and I had hit so many golf balls. (laughs) I was like, I never want to see another club, a golf ball, a golf course or anything. And so my husband and I just took it back up about two years ago and um, are loving it,
0: actually. That's, I feel like sometimes the things that we love, oh, I heard a quote today and it said something like, you don't have to, or you don't have to be good at something for something to be good for you. And sometimes it's, things get messy when the things that we love become either our job or our, like, there's too much pressure on him. It, it makes it so we don't love it as much anymore. And so I love that you kind of took a long step <laughs> away from it. And now you can actually just love it again. And I bet you just get to like smoke everyone on the, on the
1: golf <laughs> course. <laughs> Not really, but um, one of our well, actually, both of our son-in-laws play a little golf. One of them plays a little bit more than the other, and so um, we get to play with them some uh, when we go see Jason and Lauren. So that's a lot of fun.
0: That's really fun. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um So Cheryl, I'm I'm so happy to have you on the show today. You know, you and I were talking about just what your heart is to share with. women, um, my age with women who are in their twenties and thirties. And I just am so appreciative of the fact that you spend so much time investing in us and just creating resources for us and walking with us. Um, when you and I were talking on your show, you were just saying that, that this age group is just, you're just so passionate about investing in us. And so I'm so grateful for that. Um, I think that we all, all of us need more mentors and friends and moms and and aunts and all kinds of things in our lives. So um, (laughs) I'm just super grateful for that. And I know that as we were talking about just things that that you needed to hear when you were our age or things that you you love talking to women about, you mentioned times of wilderness, And I know that there are seasons in all of our lives that are harder than others, that, you know, seasons when things are not going the way that we wanted them to or seasons of life that are really painful. And one of the things that I know can happen in times like that is that God can feel Really far away. And mm-hmm. I know that there have been a few really specific seasons in your life where things did not go the way that you planned, um, where they were really hard. And I'm imagining there were times when you kind of were looking up at God going, uh, hello, do you see yeah. where, where are you? Do you see what's going on here? Yeah. And so I know that like really beautiful things can happen when we make it through hard seasons and get to look back on them because we're able to see where God was in the midst of them. And yeah. I know that it's always really helpful for me when I'm in a hard season to hear from someone, to hear someone like look back on times that were hard for them and to point out where God was because it helps me see more clearly where He is and what I'm going through today. And yeah. so that's just my hope for our conversation. So I know the first, um, I have little pieces of your story. So I feel like I'm cheating a little bit, but (laughs) I would love just to start out. I would love to hear, um, a little bit about you and your husband, like when you guys met, when you got married and, uh, can you tell us what happened when you guys decided to start trying to have a family?
1: Yeah. Well, my husband and I met in 1981 uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, That's where I played golf. And um, yeah, and everybody laughs, but we actually, I was putting myself through college and we met in the bar that I was working at. So I was a, a cocktail waitress and Jeff always says, oh, you know, I wrote that song, met her in a uh, bar as a cocktail waitress or whatever it is. I can't remember that song. But anyway, we did meet there and I was actually engaged at the time. I had been dating someone for two and a half years and I really knew it really wasn't it. And I wasn't really looking for anyone and uh, or anything like that. But my... We had just gone to see my parents and told them we were getting married. And I just knew, I just knew I wasn't going to marry this guy. And so anyway, Jeff walks in this place and I am looking and I'm thinking, who in the world is that? (laughs) And so he came over and sat in my section, actually, and we talked the whole night and I waited on him. And by the end of the night, he asked me out and my boyfriend also worked where I did. And so he kind of saw all that going on and was a bit jealous or whatever you want to say. And I I told Jeff, you know, I grew up very, how do I say, I I grew up in the Catholic faith. I was very responsible. I really didn't cause my parents any trouble. Um, I didn't rebel when I was a kid. And I rebelled a little bit later, as I'll tell you here in a second. But anyway, um, I told that I told Jeff no. And it was kind of funny because I left that night. I went home, I called my mom and I said, mom, I met the guy I'm going to marry. And she said, well, what about Scott? And I said, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And And so anyway, Jeff came back in, I had no idea how to reach him or anything. And he came back in and the next week and sat in my section again. And I, in that week's time, I realized I had to really be brave and break up this relationship that I had had going on uh, for two and a half years. It, the reason I was in it, I met him in my sophomore year of college and I think it was just comfortable and I really hadn't dated that much and he was super nice. He was an awesome guy. He really was, but I just knew deep in my heart that that wasn't who I was supposed to marry. So when Jeff came in, I had broken it off with this guy. And so I accepted a date with Jeff and we went out and I'll tell you, it was just history from there. We, um, it was just kind of like, and I I don't really believe in this so much, but it was kind of a love for love at first sight type of thing. I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't looking at it from, a spiritual side because at that point in time I actually wasn't a Christian. I I thought I was a Christian because of the way I grew up and I became a Christian a little bit later here in the story. But anyway, so we start going out, dated for a year, about a year after that I was graduating from college. Jeff was working and I got called to go to training for the company I was getting ready to work for and while I was gone, he got transferred to Los Angeles. And so we got married in 2 months. We planned a wedding in two months and we moved to LA that end of 1982. So we got married in 1982 and we went out to LA, didn't know a soul, just really going and blowing. And I was 24 years old and he was 25 and we just thought we had the world by the tail and we looked like we had the perfect life. Um, we had an ocean view home. We made a lot of money in our sales jobs and all of that. And, um, Anyway, in before we started trying to have children, about year two of the marriage, I started to feel really lonely. And honestly, I thought there was something wrong with me that I felt that way because it looked like we had the perfect life and it seemed like I had the perfect guy. Okay. We had no spiritual component to our marriage. Uh, Jeff grew up in a very... Uh, what he calls a, le- a legalistic Baptist home. And then I had, you know, my growing up. And it was just something we didn't touch. And But what I was realizing in that time frame was that I know we haven't talked about the spiritual thing, but there's a lot of other things we have never talked about. And, you know, the conclusion basically was that Jeff and I did not connect at a heart level. And we never did. We never did in our dating and by year two, I am just like starving for emotional connection. So we had plenty of sex. Sex wasn't an issue. Now that I'm 60, uh, what I realized is that Jeff and I really just had a lot of sex and we, didn't, we weren't really making love and, and we weren't spiritually connected, heart connected, emotionally or any of that. And so it was very void in a lot of ways. I didn't know how to talk to Jeff about that and about maybe three years after that, I'm still feeling all of this jeff thinks everything's just going great because that's the persona i put on and i wanted to believe it myself and so we thought well let's you know try to have kids and so we tried for about 9 months and it wasn't happening and i thought i would probably get pregnant right away because my mom like popped kids out she had 5 kids in 7 years oh my gosh <laughs> and so i thought well i mean this isn't going to be an issue but it became an issue and uh, long story short, it turned into uh, an infertility problem. I was the issue, in a sense, and I don't take blame for that. I just know that that was what the problem was, and my tubes are are completely blocked, and that's what they found out right away. And so we ended up really just diving into going through in vitro fertilization. So we did that back in 1987. And so that was six years, well, it was really five years into our marriage and the in vitro worked for us. And so we had our girls in 1988 uh, in Redondo Beach, California. And so that time frame, too, interesting, although that was, well, as I think back, that was really the second wilderness period that I'd been through in my life. I didn't realize I had a wilderness period in my growing up years as well, really until about 10 years ago. And so we can talk about that if we want to. But the infertility piece was a huge wilderness. But Jeff and I were the type people, we were super positive. Okay, we're going to handle this. But what we didn't realize in the waiting, and there was a waiting list. We couldn't get in right away. All the hormones and everything you take and just all the emotional uh, stuff that goes with it. We didn't realize until a little bit later the toll that it had taken on us and so we end up doing this but never talking about hey is this hurting you know are you hurting are you how do you feel in this like um are you devastated and we just became that couple that you know well we succeeded at this too kind (laughs) of thing yeah and we never touched the tough wilderness part of that and we didn't even want to go to the group session things that they were recommending that we go to. And we just felt like everyone was really negative and, you know, that really wasn't very healthy for us.
0: I think it's so interesting how in our, in hard seasons and in wilderness seasons, one of the things that I think happens, and this happens in depression too, but like we tend to isolate ourselves, um, but the isolation makes it infinitely worse. Like if, yeah. if you're going through a, a wilderness season and you're you have people with you in it that you can really be honest with and that can like really be there with you, it's so much easier. But but I think a lot of times when we're in the midst of it, we don't reach out for that. It's yeah, there's sort of a disconnect well, there.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting about that, Stephanie, and I'm so glad you said that because the one thing, and I, again, as we move on with the story, you'll see this, but at the time Jeff and I knew a lot of people, but we didn't really have community. And so what I mean by that is we worked with a lot of people and we were great with the people that we worked with. Um, LA is a different ball game in a sense of it's a little bit harder to connect because people, one, the driving thing is just, just a huge deal, like trying to get to people or it might be five miles and it takes you 45 minutes. So you tend to be with who you're with and you know you're you're um facing the traffic every day which is what we did and then we come home and we were like exhausted and I'm talking about when we were in our 20s so it, that's even an interesting piece of it because we didn't want to go out <laughs> we just were like okay well we're tired of fighting the traffic for 3 hours today and so we're not going to do that and um and so we were really lacking community yeah and people to really um engage with. Uh, We weren't in a church and we didn't really have anyone to talk to.
0: If you were to go back and tell yourself something in the midst of that season, like as you're waiting and as you're going through all of this and as you're going through all this together, but sort of not together, what are some things that you would tell yourself?
1: Yeah, well... In every wilderness season, I would go back and tell myself, if I was a 25-year-old or 30-year-old, I would tell myself a lot of different things in those wilderness times. In this one, I would say that, you know, I think because I grew up being the oldest of five, I felt like I had to be responsible and not cause anyone any trouble or really even deal with emotions. I was just you know, and my parents didn't tell me, hey, you need to keep it together. They didn't, it wasn't them at all. It was just me feeling like, well, you know, gosh, mom has four other kids. And I was kind of parenting. And so I would say, first of all, when I started to feel something that could be you know, what I would think maybe was negative, is to go to Jeff and talk to him. One of the biggest issues I had was I was afraid to share a weak spot with my husband. And what I know now, you know, being the age that I I am, is that I had my husband on a pedestal, and I thought he was perfect. I didn't realize that I was insecure. And because I appeared very confident and together, so, again, type A perfectionist looked like my life was perfect. The other thing that was huge for me that I never revealed to my husband before we got married was the fact that I had an eating disorder when I was 19, um, and I brought that right into the marriage. And he, he had no idea. And that that should tell you everything right there is that I, didn't, I never felt comfortable telling him that. I was bulimic. Um, it got worse when we went to L.A., I was hiding it. My purging was mostly exercise, so I would exercise profusely, like literally. I was in sales, I could do my own schedule, and I would ride the bike for like two hours a day and then go run with him after work. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And when it became the worst is when I started making myself throw up, and I said to myself, I've got to get over this. I've got to do something about it. Never talk to him about it. And so he actually found out later. Like uh, much later, that that was actually going on, and so again, I had no one to talk to. I didn't feel safe, and you know, honestly, growing up, like I told you at the beginning, I was around a lot of guys because the golf world is mostly men. And working in the clubhouse, I was a very young girl working there, and I was around a lot of men. I played on the guys' high school team. Uh, I wasn't promiscuous, praise the Lord. Like I don't know how that happened, but and then you know, I was, I had a really tough time making really tight girlfriend relationships. And I think it was just because of the nature of how I grew up.
0: Yeah. 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 So in that season, like, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So I would just tell, you know, first of all, you know, a huge piece of my story and why things happened even coming up here and a little bit is that I was super afraid to talk to my husband that was a huge deal like that he wasn't going to approve of me that i don't do things right like i don't cook the right meal i don't iron his shirt right i whatever it was and so i was petrified of all of that like honestly ironically that i thought he might leave me
0: all right well i feel like we're going to have to get to the next part of the story what <laughs> yeah what um what happened what happened next
1: yeah so we have the girls and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to fill the loneliness. And um, about, you know, and it was, it was a lot of work. So it was twin girls. I was, I was breastfeeding. I breastfed for a year and we did have someone that helped us. So that was nice. But about a year after the girls were born, I felt that loneliness like really creeping back in. Like, okay, kids, that's one part of this. But marriage is another part. And we didn't have time to think about it that first year, honestly. And so I went to a sales meeting. The girls were six, uh, 16 months old. And I always went to the national sales meetings because I was always one of the top performers. And I started talking to a guy that I'd known for a long time. We had the same position in the company. And there were only four of us out of 150. And so I started talking to him. And we were in Florida. Jeff was with the kids, and he started to talk to me about issues that he was having in his marriage. And up to this point, I had not shared one time with anyone, not a girlfriend, not my family, um, obviously not Jeff, that I was super lonely in my marriage, and I didn't feel like I had married the right guy. And so I ended up telling this guy that which led to, and there's kind of a little bit of a long story, which I won't go into, but that night we stayed up till about 5 a.m. We were all going home the next next day, thank goodness. And um, nothing physical happened that night. We just talked till 5 in the morning. And literally, I felt like my heart was being stolen and that this guy was getting me. And I mean, he was diving deep in my heart. Um, came home on a Friday. Uh, it was back when we could, um, you know, have the people come off the airplane and you could meet them at the gate. Remember those days? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I do.
0: I do. Oh, it was so great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so I saw Jeff and the girls. He had both of them. He was holding them. And um, I walked off the plane. I saw them. I missed the girls. I realized I hadn't missed Jeff. I felt like I was in a tailspin, like, who, what am I doing? I was talking to this guy, like, I, feel like I felt like I had crossed the line. And so that was on a Friday, and we didn't have, you know, cell phones and stuff back then. So we had landlines, and I couldn't wait to get to the office on Monday to talk to this guy on the telephone. And so we started talking on the telephone. And a month later, um, and this is really a hard part for me to talk about, but a month later, this guy flies down from San Francisco. We meet at a hotel. It became a full-blown adulterous affair on that day. And that was April of 1990. And honest to God, I thought I was falling in love with someone else. And I, the way I said it back then was, I think God brought this guy into my life, and Jeff isn't the right guy. And so that was all within a month's time. And we talked on the phone after that, but we never um, saw each other. And Jeff found out that, that very same month of April that we were moving to Dallas in August. So that whole summer, I was just talking to this guy on the phone. And we never you know, met up or anything after that. And, and what I talk about a lot is that basically it was definitely a full-blown affair, but It really was more of an emotional fear than anything. It it really wasn't about the physical, which for women and like y'all's age group, I have such a heart for this, but understanding that, you know, it's important for us to have an emotional connection with our husband. And there's plenty of lonely women out there. I know it. I see them all the time. And I just try to speak into them. And most girls your age are afraid to say anything, you know, to their husbands And that's the one thing I would say to to people is, you know, as risky as it seems that I'm not sure I would have ended up where I was if I hadn't, if I had told him, if I had said something to Jeff.
0: If you You had told him like how you were feeling and like just before it got to that point.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I wasn't looking for an affair. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, seriously, I, I didn't cause my parents trouble. I mean, it was just like, who am I? Like, I literally felt like I was two different people. It was nuts. So when we got to Dallas, I was actually excited to move. And I thought, oh my gosh, good. You know, we can go to Dallas, work on the marriage. We were building this big house here uh, on a country club. <laughs> I mean, because you can go to, from California to Dallas and you can build a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was thinking, okay, we can work on our marriage. I got to get my act together. And I was trying to think, well, how would I ever call this guy? Like, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have anything like Facebook or any of that kind of stuff. And so when we got here, um, I was like trying to put my bootstraps on and just like do this thing. And the girls were two, for heaven's sakes. And Jeff knew there was something wrong, but he didn't understand the whole thing. I just told him, Jeff, I'm not sure I love you. I don't know if I ever have. And he was just like blown away. Like he was shocked. Because he had no idea we had any trouble or that we were, anything was wrong. And so long story short, um, Stephanie, about a year late, well, really into the fall of that year, I started missing the emotional connection I had with this guy. And so I started contacting him from Dallas and I honestly just, I, I, I couldn't help myself. It was the weirdest thing. Like, I was just like, I am so desperate for connection. And the only thing I had told Jeff is that I didn't think I loved him and I didn't think I ever had. And he was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, he literally thought we had a perfect marriage because that's what I portrayed. I I wasn't honest. And so that's another thing that I would say to young people is be honest about where you're at. Like, get help if you need to. The answer for Jeff and I was to get counseling, not like I'm going to tell you here in a minute. About a year in, so 1991, I filed for divorce behind Jeff's back thinking I was in love with this guy and uh, divorced him in August of 1992. And he fought it the entire way. He's like, I don't know. I can't understand what has happened that's so wrong. I don't get it. And so there's a key piece in there, though, that when we first came to Dallas, we started going to church for the first time in our marriage. That happens a lot when people are in trouble. Well, maybe we need to go to church. And I'm I'm really thankful that that happened uh, back then. But I was hearing the gospel back then for the first time in my life. Uh, we went to a Presbyterian church and... I was hearing people read from the Bible, which I had never heard in my life. And I was curious, and my heart was literally being stirred. And God was trying to, you know, move in my life. And I didn't even get it. Like, I was so oblivious. But anyway, um, I ended up telling Jeff that, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't know what to do here, but. I'm just, I, we're getting divorced. Like, I, I can't stay in this. So I'm so lonely and can't do it. And so Jeff was just like, okay, whatever. So he was really pretty angry. And that fall, so we were divorced in August of 92. And that fall, I started going to another church. And within a couple months, I realized that one of the missing links in our marriage was the emotional connection, and the spiritual connection. So, Jesus was basically absent from our marriage. And um, October 1992, a couple months after our divorce was final, uh, is when I became a Jesus follower. And literally, talk about, it was like a Damascus Road experience for me. That's what I call it. Because it was like, oh my gosh, I totally get this now. And so I started studying the Bible on marriage. I had some young women that were my age trying to teach me how to read the Bible. I felt like a little kid. And I realized as I started doing a quiet time is what I called it back then. And I started journaling prayers. And about a month and a half after I became a believer, um, I I felt like it wasn't me. But basically penned across my journal is I want you to pursue reconciliation of your marriage. And I was just like, there's no way I'm going to do that (laughs) because I was so lonely. And so God was just showing me what a biblical marriage looked like by books I was reading in the Bible and different people I was listening to. And what I realized is Jeff and I had done it all wrong and that God wanted to give us another chance. And so I started to pursue reconciliation. And Jeff was like, it'll never happen, Cheryl. Don't ever talk to me about it. You're the one that broke up this family. You're the one that did all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And he said, um, you know, he by this time he found out what had happened because he saw this guy at my house one time and it didn't come from my mouth, which is another kind of embarrassing piece for me that I actually didn't tell him. He found out by seeing this guy. And um, anyway, so Really, really long story short, and it's in our book. Stephanie, our whole story is in, in our book. I do again. And um, anyway, I started pursuing it. It took seven years. We were divorced for seven years, and God put our marriage back, in 19, back together in 1999. And then he turned Jeff and I into the marriage counselors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I Oh, my gosh. God is so cool. Wait, were you dating the other guy like yes. for most of this time?
1: How long? No, for, no, not for most of the time. Uh, once I became a believer and I could see, I already knew what I was doing was wrong. Like everyone knows that adultery is wrong. I mean, you know, I had a moral compass for heaven's sakes, but I just, you know, I started to, re- well, I already knew it was wrong. So I had to figure out how to end it because I was super attached to this guy emotionally. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I was. Right. And so it still was a relationship. Right. And so I, I really, it was like, it was hard. I had to pull away from him and break it off. And he was devastated and he thought we were getting married and, and all of that. And I'm just so thankful that God stopped that whole thing. Um, so I was able to break it off eventually. And, um, yeah, I just kept pursuing reconciliation. And Jeff was like, don't keep pursuing me because it's not going to (laughs) happen.
0: Hey friends, I hope you're loving this conversation with Cheryl as much as I am. Isn't she great? I wanna take just a minute to thank our sponsor for today's episode. Our sponsor is a company that I just love, it's Green Chef. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with them, Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that delivers easy and affordable meal kits right to your door. Now, if you guys have been around our girls' nights for a while, you know two things about me. The first thing is, my schedule is busy. I know yours is too. And the second thing is that I'm not a great cook. Truly, I'm pretty bad at it. And I don't really enjoy it either. Isn't that terrible? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love food and I love eating great food. I'm just not the best at making it for myself. And that's why I love Green Chef. Each week, Green Chef sends out meals with high quality, clean ingredients, and imaginative new recipes. Everything is handpicked and delivered right to your door. The ingredients are pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped. And the recipes are quick and easy and come with step-by-step instructions, chef's tips, and photos so that not even I can mess it up. They've made this Stephanie-proof, I love that. I also love Green Chef because they have meal plans for everyone. Their meal plans include paleo, plant-powered, vegan and vegetarian, pescatarian, keto, gluten-free, and omnivore. They make it so easy to maintain a specialty diet while also enjoying new and exciting options. I know that when I'm trying to stick to a specific food plan, I always make the same thing. It can get really boring, but Green Chef changes all of that. Last week, Carl and I made this pesto panko chicken with mozzarella. They came with this kale salad. The whole thing was totally delicious. I just love what Green Chef is doing. I love it because they take over the meal planning, the grocery shopping, and most of the prep for us week after week. They're making our lives easier and more delicious, and we can feel so good about the food they're sending us. I'm all about this. Better yet, Green Chef is now actually owned by HelloFresh so that they can offer an even wider array of meal plans to choose from. I love switching between the brands for when my tastes change or when I wanna eat a little differently one month. And now, all of my Girls' Night listeners can enjoy both brands at a discount with me. Amazing, right? Guys, I'm such a big fan of Green Chef and I love them even more, of course, because they have a gift just for our Girls' Night listeners for a total of $75 off. That's $25 off each of your first three boxes. Go to greenchef.us girlsnight75. I wanna say that again just one more time to make sure you have all of the info. For a total of $75 off, that's $25 off of each of your first three boxes. Go to greenchef.us girlsnight75. Thank you so much to Green Chef for sponsoring our Girls' Night. We love having you. Okay, now without any further ado, let's jump back into my conversation with Cheryl. How did, how did the reconciliation happen? Like seven years is a long time. How did you, how did you like keep, go- how did you keep going? That's a yeah. long time to, to, yeah, that's yeah. just a long time.
1: It was really long. The first several years, it was really what ended up happening was that what I realized is I, I, I felt like I heard very clearly from the Holy Spirit to keep, keep the marriage, you know, pursue the marriage and reconcile. And Jeff was not about it, and that was just like devastating for me because I thought God would put us on the same page, and he didn't so what I talk about a lot is this seven years being somewhat of a of a wilderness, so this was a huge wilderness time for me, and those first three years, um I was really learning that God had another plan for me prior to reconciliation, and the plan was. To understand who God is, to get to know who God is, to um, you know, just endure with Him, to persevere with Him, and it was tough. Like I, you know, I didn't feel led to date or anything like that, but it was, it was. I, I don't feel, I don't feel like I was really lonely. I had the girls all the time, but I felt like this is a really long time. Like, how long am I supposed to do this? And I felt so clear that that's what God wanted. And so every time I would try to move on, which wasn't very often in the seven years, it would be like, God— like blasting in my ear like what are you doing you know i asked you to stand and and go this course and and so i did that and by year 5 you know jeff had dated a couple of people and that scared me and and you know then he would end up breaking up with them and all i did honestly was i was on my knees I prayed fervently, but I was hurting. And like our pastor has interviewed us a couple of times at the village. And he said to me one time on a, on an interview, he said, Cheryl, were you just a good actress or was Jeff asleep at the wheel? And I said, both. And then he said, well, how many times do you think you gave up in the seven years? Because people think it was just this la, la, la. I waited seven years. And I said, Matt, I said, at least 200 times, at least, if not more. And so that wilderness time, though, now that it's been 20 years since we've been back together, so 20 years this year is our 20th anniversary, what I learned in the seven years I could never replace about myself, about God, about the Bible, about marriage. I I just can't even tell you how much it meant to me.
0: And I've I've heard you say that that your marriage is like night and day from what it was the first time. How does, like, what are some, what are some differences or or like, how did you, when you guys got back together, how did that happen? And then how did you start to like, how did you do things differently that the second time? (laughs) Yeah.
1: It was awkward. (laughs) (laughs) It was awkward at first. So, um, you know, Jeff, was a no, no, no for five years. And then what ended up happening, and this is just how God works, right? He started going to a men's Bible study, and these guys were like big-time guys, you know, Tony Evans and Tommy Nelson and, you know, Steve Farrar and all these guys. And they would, uh, you know, just preach and open the Bible up to so many things. And Jeff was going to this Bible study, and what he learned at that point in time about five years in is – Oh my gosh, like, I didn't do any of these things in my marriage. So it wasn't so much what he did in the marriage. It was more about what he didn't do. And so when he realized that it wasn't my fault, he realized that he had actually made some mistakes in the marriage. And, I wasn't a hundred percent to blame. And he realized that it was more about what he didn't do in the marriage than what he actually did in the marriage. Right, And so that like he was- had a
0: part in it too. It wasn't, I, I think it probably was really easy for the first five years to completely blame you, but realizing yeah. like part of it was, was him as well.
1: Yeah, because and we didn't understand a biblical marriage. We didn't understand that the man is to lead his family and and all these kinds of things. And so we weren't living that in our first marriage. And so when you ask about the the second marriage, one of the big things, a couple things. One is marriage is worth fighting for. Number two, we didn't understand God's order for marriage and that, you know, man is to lead and, you know, the woman um, is to be a help, just all of that stuff, like even what submission means and all of that. um, We didn't get any of that. And so we felt so lucky to be able to have a second chance at doing it God's way rather than our own, because we did it all our own way the first time. And so it was you know, Jeff finally was able to, well, what I call it is dating as a family. So he started coming over to my house for dinner because I had been asking him for about a year and he said, no, no, no. And so, um, you know, after that, I finally had the courage to ask him what he was waiting on. So we were at about six and a half years now and we were kind of dating as a family that whole time. And I just said, Jeff, what are you waiting on? And he said, how do I know you're not going to do the same thing? And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so legitimate. Like, of course he's scared to get back with me, you know. And so it was really interesting, Stephanie. I, I I sat there with him, and I said, I prayed right then. Our kids were at camp. It was in the summer. And I said, God, I have no idea how to answer this question because I did, you know, disappoint him, and I did fail him. and." um the answer back to him was, Jeff, this isn't about you. This isn't even about our marriage. And I never want to disappoint my God again. So it became our marriage became about God, not either one of us. And so that's the difference. That's the biggest difference. And then we had to look at the reality of what our relationship was before and, and what was missing. And we've had to work on an, an emotional connection for the last 20 years. And we just keep growing together.
0: <laughs> so it's awesome. I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So I know that a couple of years ago, you and your family together uh, went through one of your hardest seasons yet. Probably your hardest season yet. Yeah. Can you tell us what happened?
1: Yeah. Um, pretty hard for me to talk about still. It's been eight years. Um, and it was hard for everyone. Um I just happened to be at the scene of the accident. So our daughter, Lauren, was – and just she and I were actually thinking and talking about this the other day, how it must seem so weird to hear this when you say, well, my daughter was hit by an airplane propeller. Like, who says that, (laughs) you know? And so that's what happened in uh, December 2011. She walked into an airplane propeller, and I was there, and I was with her on the tarmac. Um, Didn't know if she was alive or what was going on and so that was very devastating and it's been a long road and but she is such I call her you know she's uh she is my hero in so many ways she lost her left arm she lost her left eye but she's alive and you know when you're hit by an airplane propeller I mean you don't live through that usually so God God really came through and you know spared her life and You know, talk about a wilderness. It was, um, uh, it's hard to really pinpoint how much of it was a wilderness because most of it was for a long time. So many different facets of it. Uh, Physical, you know, the first year was just getting her physically back, you know, with a prosthetic arm and a prosthetic eye and just, you know, really going to the doctor like three or four times a week uh, for a year and then it became more of an emotional thing and all of us getting the right counseling for trauma and, um, you know, I used to not be able to tell this story and I had to go to some pretty heavy counseling to learn to do that. But, she's alive and, you know, it's a tough deal. Almost losing a child is unbelievable. Any And losing anyone is tough. So, okay, so, what I even hear today, and we're almost on eight years uh, ago now as the anniversary date, but I was writing CaringBridge uh, posts back then. And I have people today still say to me, the, the posts that you wrote were so life-giving and so encouraging. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Like. And that was a wilderness time for me. And But what, the reason I'm telling that is because it's amazing what God can do and how he can carry you in some of these things. And we were never mad at God, and we were mad at the situation, uh, but we weren't mad at God. And, you know, God—I just remember things like, you know— I couldn't read for about a year and I'm an avid reader. I read like three books at a time (laughs) and all I could read at a time would be like one verse or one tiny, tiny like um, devotional or something like that. But what I was realizing is no matter what I was reading or no matter, you know, community was humongous for us. I mean, literally people took over our lives for like three months. I didn't cook for 10 weeks and just people doing everything for us. I mean, mowing our lawn, buying groceries, going here. Go, I mean, it was it was crazy. Our best friends. So it happened at Christmas time, and my our best friend said, um, "Hey um, Jeff, do you have any Christmas things that you haven't gotten yet?" And for anybody in the family, and he said, "Yeah, there's actually just a couple things. Just maybe some stocking stuffers or something like that." Sorry, gosh. And um, she went and shopped for our entire family, and they brought it over. And Lauren came home on December the twenty third from a three week stay at the hospital, and they brought gifts for all of us. Made Christmas dinner. Um, of course, they were the ones that were. We had so many people at the hospital, but you know they live right here in our neighborhood, and talk about encouragement during the wilderness. I mean, it's just, I can't even talk about it still. <laughs> it's crazy what that means, you know, that you're there for people. Um, and that's kind of what I want to say about community because it's just nuts. Like, I can't, I don't know how I would ever be grateful enough. Uh, and then the, the other thing, in a the other thing in a wilderness is that one of my girlfriends, I said to um, her, I said, look, Gosh, I just don't feel myself. And she said, Cheryl, you're never going to be the same. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a relief. Like, I don't have to be a certain thing. And that was huge in the wilderness time, you know? So, yeah.
0: I really appreciate that. I, first of all, I love that you, I love that you shared that. You know, we've had a couple different episodes on the show about how to show up for, our people, um, when they're going through something really hard. And, and I think a lot of times we back up, you know, cause we think, Oh, I don't yeah. want to be in their way. I don't want to. And, and I mean, like, maybe don't go camp at their house, you know, or don't like, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's, um, some, you know, give them some space, but at the same time, like there are so many needs that we have in yeah. just, an average day and, and to have someone take those things off of you and, and someone show up for you and really show you in such tangible ways, how much they care about you. And the fact that you are not alone in this, I yeah. think that life is just so hard. And the, the thing that makes it better in, in such a real way is knowing that we're not alone. and And yeah, that's such a real sure. way to show someone that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the the biggest encouragement I can give in wilderness times, and one of my wildernesses, or really two of them, were not as a Christian and the other two were as a Christian, um, you know, is... It's really important to, and I don't I don't mean this any way, but the right way. And I don't mean this in a legalistic way or anything like that. That's just so far from who we are. And but it's important to be in our Bible and really understand who God is and how big he is and how much he loves you. That was that's just such a huge piece for all of it. And what I always tell young girls is, you know, well, I, I tell a lot of people, but is, you know. Be okay with asking questions like, I don't know how to do this. Or, I mean, tell me how to, I don't even know how to do a Bible study. Or what do I read when I go to the Bible? You know, stuff like that. And so it's, it's really key to be okay with having a mentor or say, hey, I'm not doing very well. Or, you know, I'm really kind of stupid here. I don't really feel like I know what I'm doing. It's okay. You know, we don't have to be perfect here in this life.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate that. I, You know, one of the things that you said that really stuck out to me was the fact that you guys weren't mad at God, Mm. but that you're mad at the situation. And I think that, you know, I think there's a real temptation when when something really terrible happens for us Mm -hmm. to be mad at God, to say, you know, where were you in this? Like, why didn't you prevent this? And, you know, on one hand, we know that God is really good, but then on the other hand, we know that what we're going through is so not good. And I think that sometimes, and, you know, I think for, for some women listening, that tension feels like it's really straining their faith. What would you yeah like t- talk to the talk to them in this moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I get it. I I understand. Like, what I can go back in the wilderness time of the seven years waiting for my marriage to be reconciled is I would get frustrated. I wouldn't say that I got mad at God, but I would get frustrated with the length of time that it took. Or, gosh, why isn't this the answer? Because I literally thought when God laid it on my heart, I thought, "Oh my gosh!" Within six months, this is going to happen. Or, and then it got to be a year. Then it was two years, and it was three years, and all of that. And one of the things to keep in mind is I did a I had a live podcast event last year, and I did a, a short talk on thriving, and I broke the word thrive down. But I talked about the wilderness that Israel went through. And so it's in Exodus 13, 17, and it talks about how, you know, this is God's wilderness period for Israel and how he was going to take them through the Red Sea. But where they were, he could have taken them straight across to the Red Sea, but that's not what he did. He took them around, the long way around, into the wilderness to get to the red sea. And the point with that that just speaks so much to me and it I hope it does to others that you know sometimes it's the long way around that is where you're going to learn the most about God, you're going to understand why he took you there, you're going to there's certain things that might happen in there that you never would have experienced if you went the short way. And I think our culture is so on trying to just do things so fast and not really like sitting in it, you know, and stuff like that. And so that's a really key verse for me is thinking about Israel when I think, gosh, God, why don't you do something here or do something there or, you know, whatever.
0: Because we're thinking that he's not, and he He is, he's always doing something. Um, he's just yeah. not doing it in the time frame that we had in mind, but there's always a reason for it.
1: Well, we just have to remember, you know, and this this is takes some, you know, growing and studying, I feel like, and and just even mentoring or whatever, but God is a big God. And, you know, I mean, have I ever questioned God? Ab- absolutely. Like, God, where are you? I can't, I can't see you. Like, you told me this, or, and I don't mean that in a literal, like, I've never heard God's voice audibly. I just mean through the Holy Spirit has, you know, laid things on my heart and stuff like that. And, you know, just... just trying to understand what God's doing, but just relax and be like, okay, God. So one of the key verses for me in the seven years was Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 10. And what it says is paraphrase basically, obey all the commandments I'm giving you this day. I may take you through the wilderness these 40 years to test you and see where your heart is. I haven't let you go hungry. I your shoes didn't wear out, your clothes didn't wear out. Uh but basically I'm bringing you into a good land. And that word land back in 1997 for me meant a new marriage. The good land in Lauren's situation was she she's going to live. She's going to thrive. She's going she got married 5 years ago. She's uh I mean she's pouring into so many people's lives. And so it's You know, God has a plan, and it's it's hard to trust sometimes because we can't see it all, and that's part of the wilderness, though. And so He describes the wilderness in verses like seven, eight, nine, or something like that, and it talks about the richness of the wilderness, um, or I mean, the richness of the land of you know, and He describes it with you know pomegranates and and streams of water and figs and you know things that were very lush and green you know, during that time. And so it's just important to think through wilderness before getting mad at God. I get how you can get mad at God, but it's just, um, you know, think through that a little bit, you know, before we head, head on over there. Yeah. he's always trying to teach us something.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Cheryl, do you have any just last encouragement for women who are sitting in the middle of a wilderness season right now?
1: You know, I think, One of the things that feels so prevalent is loneliness. And I think it's we're lonely. There's a lot of loneliness because of, you know, real reasons. But I also think that some of the loneliness is coming from lack of connection with other people and having really good girlfriends in your life or a good mentor of some sort, a good church, but we're thinking that we're connected because we're on Instagram and we're seeing all these things or whatever Facebook or whatever medium that you use. And I think really putting time into uh, finding real connection to where you can share about your wilderness experience and really be vulnerable. I think it's hard for some women to be vulnerable. I get it. You know, and I think there has to be some patience and even finding the right friendships. I love that. So, yeah. So I would say something like that. But it's, it's all of that together. And, you know, I can't stress enough uh, what it means to really understand the Bible and read it actually read it. And that's a, that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what got me through the seven years. That's what I can tell you. That's what got me through Lauren's thing.
0: Cheryl, I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. And you know, I think that when we learn something, it's really easy for, especially something hard, our tendency can be to just like run ahead (laughs) like great I survived it let's keep going on to the next thing um but I'm so grateful that you've stopped at so many points along the way to share what you've learned with the people that are steps behind you and we're so much better for it so thank you so much for being here
1: oh I am so honored to be on girl I just love you to death I can't wait for the day we get to actually hug in person
0: yes to that Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Before you go, I would love it if you would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take one quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our Girls' Nights. So, would you do me a huge favor and take one quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help me out so much. And I have to say the biggest thank you to all of you who have left those beautiful five-star reviews already. They mean the world to me. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night, and I have to tell you, you're going to love this one. See you then.